Praise the Lord, everybody. Um, Pastor Taylor gave me a topic. He, no, he doesn't normally do this. He just kind of says, you know, preach what you want to preach, and that's what I do. Um, but he wanted me to talk about compassion, so that's what I'm going to uh, be talking about today. But I, before we get into compassion, Pastor Taylor was uh, messaged yesterday. He said something in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. And if we could turn there quickly, this is my pre-message to my message. My message should run about uh, uh, an hour and a half. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it's not. <laughs> Some of you guys got nervous right then. Uh, uh, but yeah, so Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 18 through 20. And it reads, but those things which proceeded out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeded, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, uh, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with un- unwashed hands and hand, washing hands defileth not a man. So let's uh, talk about something up here in, uh, in Matthew. I think Peter was talking, was, they had the Pharisees or Sadducees had asked a question about washing your hands and so this is his response, you know, it's not about washing your hands, it's about um, what's in the heart. And so when Pastor Taylor had said this last week, it kind of, I was very dismissive of it in my thoughts because I was like, you know, oh, I'm not a murderer, I'm not, I'm not doing these things, that's no big deal. But then the Lord um, kind of just spoke to me right in that moment, and I said, oh, I need to share this. But, you know, how many times have we killed people's dreams or stolen someone's joy by our attitude or... Uh, Maybe we hadn't fornicated in a, in, a, in a physical sense, but we've cheated on God because we've done something that he told us not to do. Uh, and, you know, we, we bear false witnesses. We've, we've stolen. So not looking at this in, the, uh, in this natural sense, because I haven't committed any murders <laughs> in a natural sense. But I'm sure that because of my attitude, I've, I've destroyed someone or I've made someone feel really bad or I've, I've killed someone's dreams because of my attitude or my dismissiveness. And so sometimes we can be very dismissive somehow about, you know, well, that doesn't affect me or that doesn't concern me. But look deeper into things sometimes. And, and, and in Proverbs, it talks about um, 1821. It says, um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so there is death and life in our, in our tongue. And we can bring life to a situation and we can also bring death to a situation. So I just wanted to, you know, just give that to you guys. Don't, you know, just be thinking about what you say and your attitude and how you act. And this kind of goes back, goes into compassion. At first, I didn't think it would be, uh, but I did want to share it. But, you know, what we do affects other people. How we act affect, uh, affects other people. Those immediately around us and then some people who we didn't realize it would affect. And so we always have to be careful about that. So... Let's jump back in Matthew. This is where we're going to be coming from. We're going to spend uh, most of the time here, I guess. Uh, well, no, not yet. Let's talk about compassion. So we're doing a compassion message, and I kind of could break this up into uh, several different messages, and I'm sure Pastor Taylor is not going to let me preach them all, and I don't care to preach them all. Um, <laughs> but um, I was looking at this, and you can look at compassion. You can look at God's compassion towards us. And... And Psalms 145, 8 and 9, it talks about God's compassion for us. And I'm just going to read that one scripture in Psalms. 
145, 8 and 9. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are all are over all his works. So I could talk about God's compassion towards us. And uh, also, God's compassion is uh, exemplified throughout the Bible. There's so many stories I could, could read, um, but it is exemplified in Jesus' death. Uh, that is his most great compassion. He loves us so much. He has so much compassion for us that he's willing to allow his son to die for our sins. Uh, or I could talk about compassion for our brothers and sisters, which is needed. Um, I'm going to talk about myself because sometimes I am not the kindest person out in the street. You know, I don't try to talk to everyone all the time. My wife begs a difference. Sometimes she thinks I talk to everybody all the time. But I could tend to be to myself and, you know, you know, just do my own thing and just tunnel vision. I'm going to focus on me and what I need to do. And uh, even in going to the gym, you kind of have your iPod and you kind of tune everyone out. You know, that those things, you know, they were great inventions, but it's so easy to tune out everyone and, you know, and not do what the Lord is calling us to do in the world. We could be in the world and really not be in the world because we're just so focused on ourselves. I was in a coffee shop. And probably like 50% of the people in the coffee shop had their laptop, was at a table by themselves in the coffee shop drinking coffee with their laptops. And they probably was communicating with other people, but no one was communicating within the coffee shop. (laughs) You know, so we go there just to kind of be to ourselves. We go in an environment where there are other people just to kind of be to ourselves. Um, So I could talk about compassion for our brothers and sisters. Or I could talk about Jesus' examples of compassion that he showed um, and there were many examples that he showed compassion. Or, finally, I could talk about the enemy of compassion, which is indifference. Uh, but I'm choosing to talk about compassion for the harvest, or the lost souls. So that's what we're going to spend our focus, our time on for the next 30 minutes or so. Focus our time on the compassion for the loss, or the harvest. And we're going to look at Matthew 9, 35, and we're going to run through uh, Matthew 10 through 8. We're going to hang out there for a little while. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 35. And it reads, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So here we have here Jesus being surrounded by these people. He's done great healings and he's preaching in the synagogues. And for some reason at this particular moment, he is moved by compassion. Now compassion in this sense um, I'm not going to be able to say this word, the Greek word, because it's very long. I'll spell it for you for those who want to write it out. Um, it is spelled S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Now, I asked my wife, who is very intelligent, how to pronounce that, and she gave me something that I don't remember currently, so I'm not going <laughs> to attempt to. <laughs> but um, it is G4697, and it means literally... Um, to be moved, to be sick with compassion for someone. 
So Jesus was literally made sick. His stomach, is, it means um, your bowels to be moved with compassion. And compassion uh, really means to be moved to do something, to act, to be moved to act. And so Jesus, at that point, was so moved by the people around him and their condition, he wasn't looking at necessarily their physical condition, because they were sick and some more than were distraught, but he was looking at how they were lost. And it says here, they were like sheep having no shepherd. So he was looking at their physical and outward, but he was looking even deeper in that he was looking at these people are walking around lost without a shepherd. And so he is so moved. And how, how many of us can say that we have been moved in that way? That we've been moved so deeply that it pains us in our innermost man that now we're going to act and do something. I don't know. And I, not, like I said, I, I haven't been moved that way. Um, maybe some bad Mexican food has moved me. Um, <laughs> but how many of you have been moved with such compassion for someone that it makes you want to act? That it, it forces you, I see some hands, some people have this here, that it forces you to do something about the situation. Now, I know someone is going on a mission trip. We're going to talk about missions. Um, but there is a mission, there is a harvest right outside these doors. If you want to go on a mission trip, many of us desire to go on mission trips. But there is a mission trip right when you walk out the door, right when you get in your car, right in your neighborhood. There is a mission field that needs to be won over to Christ. So you don't have to go overseas if you can't afford it. Uh, it's free. It's only a cost of gas that it takes for you to get to point A to point B. All the places in between, the, those people need a Savior. And they're looking for a Savior. And that's what we're here, and that's what we're called to do. So he was moved with such compassion. And what was he moved with compassion for? Let's look at 37, 38. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So he is looking for laborers. Who are the laborers? <laughs> no, we're going to hire some people to do the work, and we, you know, that's what it's for. But he's looking for laborers. He said, pray that he send laborers for the harvest. And who are the harvest? Those lost souls. Um, and sometimes the harvest can be right in here. So many times we fail to realize that sometimes we have to do the work. Um, we think that if we open the church doors, then the sinners are just going to fall in here. They're just going to be drawn in by the beauty of the sanctuary or the music that's playing or our great personalities or how wonderful we look on Sundays. And they're just going to follow us right in this door and get saved. It's, I rarely see that happen. I don't think I ever have seen that happen. But we are going to have to labor. And I was reading somewhere, I think in Alabama or Mississippi, they was talking about, um, I don't want to get into any political issue, uh, but illegal immigrants leaving the, the, the state because of some laws, and so now there's a shortage of workers in that state. And so I was like, man, you know, they have a lack of laborers. Is that so in the kingdom? Is there a lack of laborers? Do we not see that we are supposed to do the work 
but we refuse to do the work, and so we say, oh, there's a lack of laborers, you know. And so many organizations or companies or even churches, they say 10% of the people do the work that for the other 90% or something like that. Maybe 20% of the people do the work and the others 80% sit around and enjoy the fruits of the work that the 20% do. Um, are you the 20 or are you the 80? Or are you at 79 and a half? You sometimes do work, <laughs> then you sometimes don't do work. And it's so easy. I remember when we first moved here, I was busy. I moved here from North Carolina, and we, we were busy at our church back in Raleigh and really did a whole lot of stuff. And so when I first moved here, I said, Dietrich, I'm going on sabbatical. We're not going to any church. I'm not looking for anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm so tired of going to church. And that lasted maybe a month and a half to maybe a little longer. Uh, but it's like, Lord, just say, first of all, you got to get your butt out and go look for a church. You know, <laughs> you know and my kids are like, when are we going to go to church? It's like, oh, dad is tired. We're going to take a break. We're going to vacation for a little bit. We're in a new city. Nobody knows we're not going to church. Nobody's looking for us. <laughs> Let's enjoy that moment, you know. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to be calling you. Why you want in church? No, we just chill out here for a while. But that didn't last very long. Uh, but, yeah, so it wound up here at Cornerstone. But, yeah, so sometimes it's easy to want to relax, you know. It's easy to want to just sit back and say, you know, I want to enjoy not having to work. You know, we we work all our lives to retire to say, I don't want to have to work. You know, I want to sit back and relax. And sometimes we come in church thinking, I don't want to have to work. Church is church, and I want to sit back and relax and enjoy the sermon and be fed and leave and do my business Monday through Saturday, and then maybe come back on Sunday morning and do it all over again and sit back and hear them sing and sound so great, (laughs) Um, and then do it all over again. But that is not what Jesus had in mind and God had in mind when he called us to be laborers. He definitely didn't think that there would be a shortage because there's so many of us. There's so many of us. And if we only labored, there would be such a harvest coming in. I, you know, and there's so many illustrations of farmers uh, in the New Testament, in the Bible, examples of farming and seeding and planting. And you have to work. If you ask any, who's, who grew up on a farm or who, who's ever done any farm work? It's hard work, especially if there's a few of you. <laughs> and it's real hard work. I've never, thank God, never had to do it. <laughs> um, but I can imagine. I grew up in Kinston, North Carolina, which is pretty rural, eastern part of North Carolina. So I see farms, and I drove by them. <laughs> and I said, wow, that looks like work. <laughs> but I wasn't privy to having to do that, thank God. I remember my brother having, um, you know, having to pick tobacco. And I think right when it transitioned, when he was in high school, he could go and make Lots of money during the summer picking tobacco. But when I got in high school, I don't think that was an option for us. And I don't know if rules or laws or regulations changed. That wasn't, or it wasn't an option for me because I wasn't going to do it. But, <laughs> but I don't remember that ever being an opportunity. I worked at Food Lion, so that was much more my, my speed and air condition. But um, there was, he, I remember him coming on and having to work hard. I mean, it was really hard work. But he enjoyed the fruit of that because he made lots of money. He was able to do certain things that my food line check didn't afford me to do, (laughs) unfortunately. But it's work. It's work nonetheless. And we have to labor. Um, 
And not to discourage any of you working, but uh, it is important and God commands us that we do labor. And so let's look at who he chose in Matthew 1, Matthew 10. And let's jump there. And when he called him to him, so, he's, so this is just like Jesus. So he's talking about the laborers of few, um, the harvest is plentiful. And then he turns right around in, um, math, in chapter 10 and says, And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And now the names of the twelve, and it goes through the names. I'm not going to name them all. I'm going to jump down to verse 5. And he says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go into the city. So he, called, he, he was talking about work, talking about needing laborers, and then he turned to the disciples and said, all right, you're the ones. You, you're the ones. It's not that we're going to sit back and find some other people to do the work. You're the ones that I've called to do the work. And the same thing he's saying to you is not that he's called you to sit back, but he's called you to do the work. Now, it goes through in verses 2, uh, 3, and 4, and talks about the 12 disciples that were chosen. And if you look earlier at Matthew, he had just chosen Matthew. So I don't know, in chapter 9, uh, let's let me get there. Uh, in verse 9, it says, And Jesus passed forth from thence and saw a man named Matthew sitting at the uh, receipt of customs. You don't have to go to that PowerPoint if you don't. You don't have to. Um, and he says, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So he had just chosen Matthew in chapter 9, verse 9. And in chapter 10, verse 2, now, I don't know the time span between 9 verse 9 and 10 verse, 10 verse 2. Um, I can imagine it may have been a couple of weeks. Uh, but Matthew had just started following him. He had, after, after maybe a week or two, he was sending him out to do some work. So it wasn't that he had to go to, to seminary or he was a great theologian or he had to do 12 years of training or we needed him to study these foundational things, and he had to go to the four years of university, and no, he had only been with him for maybe two weeks, I'm assuming, you know, from nine to nine, you can look it up, I didn't, um, you can look it up though, from chapter nine, verse nine of Matthew, to chapter 10, verse two of Matthew, how long was that before Jesus was willing to send Matthew out to do, to be a laborer, not to stay with me because it was less than three years, because Jesus' ministry was only three years. Uh, and it wasn't a year between those, that time, that's time span. So how long does it take for you to be ready to go out and labor? So many times that is our excuse. I'm not ready, I just got saved, or, you know, I need some more prep, or I need to study more, uh, or whatever the issue may be. How long does it really take? In the example here, it didn't take very long. If you've only been saved for a day, you're ready to be sent out because you are excited and know how God has changed your life in one day and you can go right back out to the very people you were around and say, hey, look, this is what happened to me. And this is my testimony. You have a day-long testimony, so it should be really quick. Um, <laughs> but you have it. And it doesn't take very long. So we can't hang our hat on the excuse that, well, I need to study more. Well, however long you've been saved, you should have been studying already, or, you know. That's not an excuse. That's not an option. I'm too young. Well, that's, that's not an excuse either. I'm too old. That's, that's not an excuse. I'm too busy. There is no excuse. 
he has called us to be laborers. He needs you to work in the kingdom. Not for Cornerstone. It's not, and I don't want you to get uh, confused with being a laborer for the harvest and working in Cornerstone in some ministry. Those are, the two, those, are, those are very different things. One is maintaining the saints, so working with the saints, you know. But one is going out and laboring with the harvest. Looking at people who don't look like me, who don't necessarily talk like me, uh, who don't always carry my beliefs. More than likely, they won't carry your beliefs at all. And it's so easy to go to people who look like me and carry my beliefs, and it's easier to kind of... But um, what little I know of farming, since I didn't do any, um, <laughs> that sometimes it's easy to do some work, to pull the plant out or whatever, what do you call it, a harvest. Uh, and then sometimes it's more stubborn. You have to bend over and reach over and you know, kind of yank things out of the ground. And sometimes the ground is not easily able to pull that plant out and, and, and get that harvest. <laughs> You're messing up all farm, farm working terms here. <laughs> but <laughs> the ground may be harder or, you know, whatever. It's not easy to do it sometimes. And sometimes it may be easier. But you have to be led of the Spirit. And um, that doesn't negate the work that needs to be done. Just because someone is harder to reach or someone is easier to reach, that doesn't mean I don't get to do any work now because I've had some hard experiences with people or some negative experiences, and so now I'm just not, I'm not doing anything. That's, that doesn't work. We need laborers. This world is dying. This, this world is lost, and they need you. You are the only light that they see on a day-to-day basis, especially if they never come to churches, they have no interaction with church at all, you are the only church that they see. And they need you to work with them, to pull them in, to show them the way. And they are hungry for your witness, for your testimony, to be shown what they should do. They're hungry for it. Um, Let's look at Matthew... 10, 5, and 6. So who are we called to reach? So it says, uh, these 12 Jesus sent for, commanded them. And these were not, uh, like I said, these were not um, great men of intelligence. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, um, farmers. You know, they weren't men of great esteem that we will look for. If you were running a corporation, Jesus Incorporated, you know, who would you look for? Would you look for a fisherman? No, we would, we would want someone, possibly, who was, had some wealth and had some pull in the community. But Jesus said, not so. I don't need that. I just need a, a willing vessel. You know, when I say follow me, they're willing to follow me. When they, they're willing to put down what they have and follow me. I, I don't need a lot of uh, influence. I can teach that because my word is able to reach those people. So it's not about collecting people with wealth or influence. Or, it's not that. It's about collecting people with a soul that is lost. And there's a price on every soul that Jesus paid. And it's not up to us to pick and choose how much of that soul is, what that soul is worth. It's not up to me to say, well, uh, I'm not going to speak to him. 
because I don't think his soul is worth as much as maybe this person who I may know. You know, it's, it's not up to us. It's up to, to Jesus to do that. He's, he died on the cross for it. And so we should just go out. Um, five, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so this is interesting. You know, I was reading, reading this, and this talks about how, you know, initially this may seem exclusionary that, God, that Jesus would say, well, don't go to these people or these people, but go here. But he knew what he was doing. He was, he was just intelligent. He said, you know, I realize these people are not maybe the, the smartest people or haven't had the studying or training that other people may have. So I'm not going to send them to the Gentiles or the Samaritans because that, that, that will come later with Peter. Peter, I would tell Peter to do that. But I, what I want you to do is go to your own neighborhoods. I don't need you to, I don't want you to get in any battles with the Samaritans or the Gentiles. They're not ready yet. You know, some things have to happen for that to be fulfilled. But what I want you to do is go into your own neighborhoods with the people you know, the people you're familiar with, so it may be a little bit easier. Because I'm going to prepare you for the Gentiles and the other ones later. But what I want you to do right now is just go in your cul-de-sac, in your apartment building, and down the street, around the block, to those guys, your coworker with the cubicle next to you, you know, the guy who you know is not saved and not living right. That's who I want you to go to, that you, you interact with, you, you come across their paths all the time. And they look like you. They might smell like you, maybe. <laughs> uh, but go to those people and, and try to reach them first. Especially if you don't think, well, I'm, I'm not equipped. Well, I, I don't need for you to be equipped to go to the guy across the street you know, and, and share the good news of the gospel with him. I don't need for you to be a theologian to talk to the uh, grocery clerk and just share a kind word. I don't need for you to, there's this guy that I would have lunch with every now and then. I hadn't had lunch with him in a while. We would meet on a regular basis. I thought it was so cool that when the waiter, wait, waiter or waitress would come over, he would ask the waiter or waitress, did I have a prayer request? And it was, you would just see the shock on their face. And they're like, what? But the initial shock. But then they would say, well, yeah, you know, you could pray about my mom. You, then they would just disclose. And I ate lunch with them for a couple of times, and I saw this happen several times. But they would just kind of pour out their heart. We just met you. <laughs> But it was so amazing. And then we would pray right there with them. We'd just be really quick, you know, oh, did you have a prayer request? And it, most, sometimes it would be something deep. So just pray that I have a good day because, you know, being a waiter or a waitress is not easy. And you run into a lot of uh, attitudes, some Christian attitudes. Um, <laughs> but you have a lot of attitudes you have to deal with. And so pray that I have a good day. And we would just pray quickly. I pray that you have a good day. And, you know, quick prayer and send them on. I think that has such a great, it had a great impact on me, one, just seeing it. I was like, wow, this is so great. I need to use this. Um, but I think it had a, such a great witness to that person who may have been saved or may not have been saved to know that someone thought enough of them to ask what was your prayer request for that day. Not in, not in the conventional sense where you were in church and you expect someone to ask, but while I'm at work, while I'm eating dinner, Someone, and I was just going to wait and serve on their table, you know, ask me that. I think we always got great service because of that, too. <laughs> but 
That's just an easy thing to do. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to interject Jesus in the conversation. And it doesn't have to be threatening. It doesn't have to be harsh. It doesn't have to be confrontational. But it could just be, let me, let me just pray with you. I've ne- I never saw anyone turn it down. Even, I don't know if, where they, what their belief system were, but I never saw anyone say, no, I don't want you to pray with me. And I, I you know, try it and let me know. Those of you who are eating out, you know, a lot. I, I try not to. But uh, try to let me know. Yeah, definitely. But who, who are we called to? We're called to the people around us. You know, a friend, a coworker, our dorm mate, our sweet mate, uh, the guy down the hall who needs prayer. That's who we're called for. And that's who we're called to reach first. And so uh, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, and he says, and so then he gives them, he tells them what he wants them to do. He says, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. So this is our list, our laundry list of things that we, we're supposed to be doing every day. How can I preach the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is near? And how can I interject in my day today along with everything else I got to do? I got to go to work and clean up the house and everything. I don't, my wife would look at me probably no, she didn't. Okay, good. I got to clean up the house. <laughs> He's like, he doesn't do much cleaning. Um, <laughs> but all the things that you have to do in your day, how can I interject preaching the kingdom? Just for a few minutes. I don't ask you to do a 30-minute sermon or 45-minute sermon like we do on Sundays. Um, but how can I interject preaching the kingdom in my day today? Is that ever considered in our morning when we get up and do our devotion? Are we considering how can I preach the kingdom today? How can I interject in my day? Am I looking for an opportunity to heal the sick? Raise the dead. Please let me know because I want to see it too. Um, <laughs> But cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And raising the dead, I mean, Jesus meant it in the literal sense, but there are souls that are dead that need the life that you're going to speak to them to come alive. So this, you can raise the dead, you can raise a dead soul who was in the clutches, in the hands and jaws of hell and is going to be lost and you came and snatched it out and brought him back to life. And I think that if we do that, we will never be bored with church. You can't be bored with harvesting. Uh, things I know about farming, they get up real early and they work all day. And, they don't, they, and, they, and they're very tired at the end of the day, so you always sleep well. Looking at Little House on the Prairie, I know. Um, <laughs> 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 not from my own personal experience, but <laughs> they were always tired and they, you know, they had no issues with sleeping, trust me, because they worked really hard all day. <laughs> and so how much more can we infuse this into our daily lives? And we will never be bored. We can never say, oh, I'm tired of church, I'm tired of going to that place where souls have been saved, you know. Where people are being healed, and I'm tired of getting energized so I can come out and do the work that God has called me to do throughout the week. 
I'm tired of, you know, hearing a message that will infuse me and energize me to go out Sunday afternoon after we leave to go witness and change someone's life and snatch a dead life back to life. A dead life. <laughs> Someone who's dead back to life. Are we, do we think that, you know, sometimes we can get so complacent and, and that's why uh, one of the messages, the enemy of compassion is indifference. Because we can be okay with just being okay. I don't, don't stir the pot up. I like it just the way it is. I'm not going to do too much. I'm not going to do too little. I'm lukewarm. And you get spit out. But God has called us to labor with him. And we, it is my prayer. It is, I have not arrived. Trust me, I haven't. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking to get there that I incorporate preaching the kingdom, healing, looking for opportunities to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, you know, in my day. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm not looking, and it talks about freely you have received, freely give. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm not looking to be paid for this. I'm not looking to get some reward from someone or get some accolade. Because it was freely given to me. God has blessed me. I didn't pay for anything. Someone brought me to Christ. The Holy Spirit tugged on my heart for a couple of months and went to college. And I was looking for a church. I wasn't saved, but I was looking for a church. That's the strangest thing. You know, you think back on that. I was like, I wasn't saved, but I was looking for a church. So I knew the Lord was pulling me in that direction, pulling on my heart, saying, you need to go, you need to go. So hooked up with a college ministry and soon after I got saved. But, you know, it requires that being sensitive to the spirit, you know, being open, not excluding anyone. Wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, it is an opportunity for me to preach the kingdom. Whatever and wherever I'm going, it is an opportunity for me to preach the kingdom. So I want to encourage you to stand to your feet. Um, I know it's Pastor Taylor's heart, and I know, unfortunately, he's not here, but encourage you to incorporate that in your everyday life. In your coming and going, in your back and forth, in your disgruntled, whatever self that you can be sometimes. Uh, incorporate that. And the good thing about this is sometimes we talk about, you know, well, that's not my gift or that's not my personality. You know, I'm sure the 12 that he sent out had varying degrees of personality. I'm shy. I'm outgoing. I'm this kind of person. I'm an A type. I'm B type. It doesn't matter what type you are. <laughs> Just do it. Just go out there. Go to someone. Share it. And, you know, some some plant, some water, but God gets the increase. And you may be planting at that moment. And then somebody may come back and sprinkle a little bit of water on it. But it is, it's not for Cornerstone. It's not for you. It is for the kingdom. And he gets the increase. And what, you, what little bit you sow right then may make the difference later on in that person's life. How many times have we been around and just someone just said an encouraging word. And it's like, wow, you know, I really needed that. Right then, I was in the gym, and someone, this pastor was in the gym as well, and he was working out. And he, I haven't seen him in the gym since, so I was like, is he an angel? He just came by and just <laughs> gave me an encouraging word, and I was like, wow, 
That's what, that's exactly what I needed at that moment. So let us be that to someone else. Let us be that light to someone else. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you've given us, um, your grace and your mercy, the fruit of your spirit, uh, and your compassion for the lost, for the harvest. We pray that you would burden our hearts, burn it in our hearts, Lord God, that we would love your people, all of your people, that we will want to rescue them. If they were in a burning building, we would scream out, fire, fire, get out of there. And this world is in a burning building. And they need for us to be screaming and yelling and bringing to their attention their lives need to be saved. Burn it in our hearts, Lord God. Give us that compassion for the lost, for the harvest, Lord God. That we will never get bored with church or never get bored with your kingdom, Lord God, because there's always work to be done. There's never a lack of work, but there's a lack of workers. And we do not want to fall into the lack of workers. We want to be willing and submitted to you, Lord, to do what you've called us all to do, regardless of our statue, regardless of our place in life, regardless of how much money we have or don't have, how much education we have or don't have. That doesn't matter. We're going to preach Jesus and him only. So we thank you, Lord God. We just pray that you would just pierce, pierce our hearts and let us have a greater understanding of this compassion for your loss. And let us begin, begin to act on that, Lord God. Let us not be indifferent and say, oh, there are lost people everywhere. Oh, well. No, let us have compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.